Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Joaquin Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. The church shouldn't just survive in moments of crisis. They should thrive. And this is the way that the church should be, is thriving and coming to a community's needs in in the hardest of times and the hardest of trials. And um, I began to think about the church because if you're like me, we... We live in an amazing community, and we have this Facebook page in our community, and it's amazing. Everyone rallies around one another, neighbors being neighborly, like handing out water, like helping people shovel their driveways. We really saw this week our uh, house neighborhood where we live, community coming together to help one another. And I thought to myself, what is the difference? You know, obviously we have the church being surrounded by God and surrounding Jesus, but what is the difference between hanging out with people and doing community with neighbors and doing community with the church? And I I came across the word, which we all know, and sometimes I think we just throw it out very flippantly, but this word fellowship that we talk about in church. And you don't really hear people say, hey, let's go watch a football game and have fellowship together if they're not believers, right? Or you don't really hear your co-workers who perhaps aren't believers, hey, let's go get a drink after, after work and fellowship with each other, right? It's a very Christian word, right? Very Christian. And I like to be able to use words that um, are relevant to people that can really um, cross-translate and aren't too Christianese. And so I began thinking, what's another word for fellowship? And really, when you look in the Bible and the translation, there really is no other word that describes the power of community better than the word fellowship. So we're going to make the old new, and we're going to make it a great word that we're going to continue to keep using, and it is relevant now just as much as it was for the early church when it was prevalently used throughout the New Testament. But this word means in the Greek koinonia. Now what that means is sharing, unity, close association, participation, and partnership. And I began thinking, well, that's great, but that also feels like the community Facebook page in my neighborhood. I mean, I don't know. We have a pretty great neighborhood. but So what is the difference, God? Why would people want to find community in church rather than in any other social group that there is? And this is what I found in Strong's Bible Dictionary. It defines fellowship like this. It is a cementing together of God's people, and it is something that is only brought about by the Holy Spirit. So we can have community anywhere, but there is a secret ingredient when you have community in church, and that is the cementing of the Holy Spirit. That's where you can have people coming in and having relationship with one another when they don't always have to agree with one another. That's where you can have the diversity of the church be a strength and not a weakness. It is because the Holy Spirit is a binding agent that binds us together with our brothers and sisters. And see, the way that we have fellowship with one another is actually determined by how we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we may not know this, but we come into church week in and week out, and we think we're coming to be fed, right? I mean, it's a good reason to come to church. 
we think we're coming to be fed. And I have this feeling that the Holy Spirit is like, that's not really what we're doing here. <laughs> what we're really doing here is binding your spirits together. Because you know what can't be easily shaken? Cement. <laughs> Cement cannot be easily shaken. So if Holy Spirit is the cementing together of God's people, then that is a group of people that come crises and trials and persecution cannot be easily shaken. You know, the fastest growing church in the world is the Iran church. As of October 2020, Iran is the fastest growing church in the world, and it is a persecuted church. You are persecuted by being a believer in that nation. Same with China, same with Russia. All of these countries have the fastest growing churches. Because there's something about trials, and there's something about challenges, and there's something about persecution that is actually, this may be controversial, healthy for the church. I know we don't like to think of it because we don't really want to be in trials, because come on, they're not really fun. Persecution is not fun. But persecution and trials is a healthy season for churches to be in. It causes and allows the Lord to purify us and grow us. Without trials, without persecution, we get a little unruly and we may not be quite centered on the thing that we're meant to be centered on. We might not keep the main thing the main thing. But in the midst of these trials is when God is like, hey, eyes on me. Eyes on me. Let's get rid of the things that don't really matter. And let's put our eyes and our attention back on the one that matters, on the one that cements us together with one another. Amen? You know, I was looking up, and I don't, I don't want to say this. I, I have a fear of saying this in that some people may hear it and be like, oh, you cannot liken the last week or the last year from COVID and the snowstorm to the persecuted church. And I'm not. I get it. The persecuted church, like, has got nothing. Like, they're just, you know, we've got a lot, a lot to be thankful for, even in the midst of our hardships. Um, but I was reading... And this is five of the things that is noted by people who work amongst the persecuted church as to why the persecuted church is the fastest growing church in the world. Is they have a view of eternity always before them. Sometimes in our Western world, we can get so caught up in our luxuries. I tell you what, I never knew that having a garbage disposal that worked was a luxury <laughs> until this past week. I didn't know. We get so consumed with the bonuses and the add-ons of our life that we forget the main thing is eternity with Jesus, our Savior, that should be driving our life. Amen? They have a passion for winning souls. You know, you hear some of the people who are part of the Chinese underground church, and they're like, we just cannot imagine being a Christian and not sharing the good news of our Savior. Like, we can't even fathom how Christians don't do that. And I ask us, when was the last time that we shared 
our Savior with our friends and our family and our neighbors. And I tell you, in this moment of trial, this is the greatest opportunity to share the gospel because we have Jesus Christ inside of us and he is the hope of glory, amen? The hope for all nations. They are God-centered and not self-centered. I tell you what, like I said before, I'm so proud of our church. And I know it's not just our church, but I'm going to brag on our church because I think it's the best church in the world. Um, <laughs> everyone else has amazing churches too, but ours is awesome. Um, but I just watched in awe as our people banded together and helped one another, putting themselves aside and lifting up the needs of the community instead of their own. They were so centered on helping others instead of just helping themselves. You know, my husband and my children, we were lucky enough after uh, two days without power, our associate pastors, the Tates, took us in. Um, so it was us with our three kids and another family in our community moved in as well who had five kids. And it was just, I mean, our kids loved it. They thought it was a giant slumber party. But <laughs> this whole time I'm thinking, wow, like what sacrificial love that you would open your home to that many people because you saw a need and you could meet it. And I thought, wow, that is what being kingdom-centered is, not self-centered. And that is why the persecuted church and churches in trial thrive. The persecuted church has a devotion to the Word of God. And, it, and it, it, you know, in the midst of all of these trials that we face in this past year and this, this past week even, like it has to be the word of God in which we build our faith on. It's the unfallible word of, word of God. I'm so surprised as to how many people don't think that this is God. Like this is the words, the living word of God. It's not just fun stories. It's not just like Proverbs that we can base our life around because, you know, a lot of Eastern religions have Proverbs that they base their life around. But this is living and it is breathing. And when we come against challenges and when we come against trials, we get to see how deep this really goes. Have we been feeding on this or have we been feeding on something else? And the persecuted church has an unwavering hunger for the word of God. You know, I heard about the Chinese church and um, we, were, we were talking to a missionary friend who went there and he would distribute Bibles. And, you know, what they would do is because there was, wasn't enough Bibles to go around, they would rip out some of the pages of the Bibles and they would pass it around from family to family until that piece of paper was so worn out. And it's because they needed that word of God. It was sustenance. It was food to their faith. It is what they stood on when everything around them was shaking. They stood on the word of God. We need to have the word of God in us and coming out of us. Amen? And the other thing about the persecuted church is their readiness to serve. And we have just seen this demonstrated so beautifully and so many churches all across this nation, but even internationally, have been contacting us saying, 
or contacting the city of Austin and Texas and the surrounding region saying, how can we help? How can we serve? What can we do? And that is the beauty of the church. Amen. That is family. That is family. We serve one another. We serve one another. And in by doing so, we serve God. I just imagine... I just imagine the smile on God's face as he watches the church rise up to her potential. As he watches the church open their homes to the hurting and the needy. As he watches the church give of their finances, of their resources, of their time, delivering crates of water to people who need water. I love that God uses us the local church, to serve the world. Because he could do it without us. He really could. I mean, if he can cause like manna to fall from heaven, then surely he could cause crates of water to arrive on people's doorsteps. (laughs) I mean, he really could do it without us, but he doesn't want to. It is our privilege that we get to partner with God and serve him and serve our city and serve the people that we call family. Amen. Church, you're amazing. I love you. I, I think I'm going to be done in just a second. But, you know, I was thinking about, obviously, COVID has affected all of us and and a lot of us uh, in church leadership has, have been wrestling with, I mean, still going on, but for the last year now, should we meet or should we not meet? You know, and sometimes it hasn't been safe to meet. And sometimes we've been able to meet with precautions taken and safety measures taken. And I just have this stirring in my heart. I have this stirring in my heart that if the people of God do not continue to meet, and start meeting, then we miss out on this binding element that comes when we encounter the Holy Spirit together. See, we don't meet as a church because we're being reckless. We don't meet as a church because it's, to be honest, the easiest thing to do. To be, to be honest, the easiest thing to do would be to stand here and film every Saturday. We meet as a church because we understand the power of fellowship. We understand the power of standing next to our brothers and sisters in worship as we encounter the Holy Spirit together and he binds and knits our spirits to one another because that is where true unity comes from. True fellowship comes from. And that is how we, the body of Christ, the local church, become cemented together is by encountering Holy Spirit together and on our own so that when we come together, it's even more powerful. Amen. Well, I am going to invite Joaquin to come up and share. I know that he's got a word on his heart and it's a good one. So I'm excited to hear this, but we love you church. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. I just, I just want to like grab your faces and give you a kiss on the cheek and just be like, good job, good job. This is the church being the church, and you've done so well, and I'm so proud of you. So good. 
What an encouraging and right on word that is right there. And uh, I, I just echo that. We've got an amazing community of people. Um, our, our community, the church at large, has been doing a great job. Uh, other Christian organizations, shout out to Austin Disaster Relief Network and the job they're doing, just uh, organizing relief in so many different ways, uh, just incredible. Um, so many people have stepped up, but, uh, you know, in particular, I love uh, the video of, of Chad Owens pulling the, uh, the HEB semi-truck out, uh, stuck in ice with his, with his big four-wheel drive, pulling out a, a semi-truck, uh, but so many people have stepped up in incredible, incredible ways, and I'm just reiterating what Renee said already, but we are so thankful for, the, for you all actually stepping up and being the church in this season. Well done. Um, I want to talk, actually, um, uh, uh, Psalms 91. I'm just going to, I'm going to basically share uh, Psalms 91 uh, with you and open it up just a little bit uh, more. But, you know, this is, this has been a wild week. Uh, if you're watching from local, you, you totally understand um, if you're watching international, but it hasn't, uh, or, or national, you, you've seen on the news what's been going on here. But it's not just this week, you know, it's been the, it's been a, the whole year. The last 12 months have been wild. Um, you know, one thing from another and, you know, uh, the world's being shaken a little bit right now. And, you know, do you remember back to the, uh, the wildfires in Australia that were gripping the news the very beginning of 2020? It's like that's, that's forgotten almost with so many other things have just layered on top of it. And the world's being shaken, but the good thing, the good news is for those of us who are believers, we're not of the world, and the Bible tells us that we're to not be shaken. And God makes provision for us that is beyond what the world has available to them. And we actually, we actually have not only the ability for ourselves to step into that provision that God has made, but we also have a, a responsibility, so to speak, to step in so that the world sees the light of God shining on us. The world needs to look and see people who are shrouded in peace to see people who are anchored, to see people that have a confidence, uh, unshaking, unwavering confidence and peace and resound unlike the rest of the world. The world wants hope and needs hope right now, and we are called to be carriers of this hope that people can say there is something different about what that group of people is carrying. I want that. I need to know the anchor. And we know the anchor obviously is Jesus Christ, but we need to be the able to introduce people to this anchor, and there's so many great volunteer opportunities that are going to be unfolding over the next week to help in practical ways. But we want to bring water. We want to bring food. There's going to be weeks of cleanup, if not months, fixing pipes. We want to be very engaged in that. But listen, we don't want to just drop off water and leave. We don't want to just fix a pipe. We want to bring the light and the love of God as we fix a pipe. We want to bring eternal perspective like Renee was just preaching on. And I want to talk about hiding in the shadow of his wings, being hidden in God in the secret place, being unshakable in God. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, God provided the tabernacle for his people, Israel, 
in, in, in really a time of, of a, a darkness and a time of trial. And they were disconnected from God. And God created a, the tabernacle as a meeting place for his people to still connect with him. But, but that season, all of those things are really a type and shadow for things to come. And that season, as glorious as it was, the, 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 the kabod glory of God dwelling, the manifest glory of God dwelling on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, as glorious as that was, Paul says that that glory pales in comparison to the current glory. That that literally is just a type and shadow of what was to come and what is in Christ. And we still have access to an even greater reality to come. But we have the ability to pull that reality into the now and to display it to a hungry world. There's so much inclusive language in the gospel that we, the beauty of this relationship, of this walk, is that we don't have a distant God. We don't have a disconnected Savior. We don't have a... a a stoic, unemotionally connected father. No, we have a good father, and we have a loving Savior, and we have an ever-present hope. We, we have the kingdom that is at hand. We have a God who is not just with us, but in us. It's all this inclusive language, and Paul tells us in Romans 13 to put on Christ and to make no provision for the, for the flesh. In Ephesians 6, it says to put on to put on the whole armor of God, that we are called to step into the things of God. And I want, I want to just break down Psalms 91 a little bit, that we actually are, are not just hearing the words, but we're receiving the marrow from the bones and, and the nectar, because we're called to be an unshakable people. And Psalms 91 is such a beautiful a picture of the protection of God. And, and, and for, for generations, people have been running to Psalms 91 in times of trouble and shaking because it builds a confidence. There's a truth in there. But I want to make sure that we, are, that we are pulling out all the marrow of that truth, that we are the unshakable church. I'm just going to read it first. And I just want even the words. I'm sure... Most of us on here hearing this have read it before, but I want to read it over you, over your household, over your family, and over this season. And I just want the words just to sink in over you. But then I'm going to go back through and break it down just a little bit for us. Psalms 91. One who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who rescues you from the net of the trapper and from the deadly plague. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will make refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a wall. I'm reading out of the NASB. Uh Verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the plague that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that devastates at noon. A thousand may fall by your side, 10,000 may fall at your, side, at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. 
You will only look on with your eyes and see the retaliation against the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will happen to you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Powerful language here. For he will give his angels order concerning you to protect you in all your ways. On their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will walk upon the lion and cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent because he is, because, now there's a shift here in verse 14 I'll talk about in a minute. Because he has loved me, now it's the Lord speaking, because he has loved me, I will save him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Amazing promises. What a good God. And again, the the reality, Renee hit it earlier, but the reality is that we have a living, ever-present God. He's not distant. He's not far off. This This isn't just a picture language. This is living hope. This is what we are supposed to step into and live in. We're supposed to see this manifested in our life. There's some beautiful beautiful keys in here that we can can break into and I hope pull even more marrow from this amazing psalm that is is a rock in, in times of shaking and trouble. You know, David, who wrote the psalms, went through some shaking in his day. He went through some troubles. He went through some, some highs, and he went through some lows. And out of that, David pours out his heart in the Psalms. And I tell you, when you're searching for answers, go into the Psalms and just start digging through. There's, there is so much life to be gleaned from the Psalms. But David knows what it is to be steadfast in trouble. And he's honest in his experience and his expression that he didn't have it together in every moment. And there was times where he was wondering where God was and where this, this salvation of God, the promises of God were. But he kept digging and he kept worshiping until he would find him and he would find the promises of God. Going back to the beginning of Psalms 91. One who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Dwell means to sit or to remain. And shelter is a covering or a hiding place or secrecy. And you know, this all starts, this all, let me say it this way, this all comes alive in intimacy with God. Because we can, we can read the word, and if it just remains two-dimensional information on a page or in a tablet, then we don't actually step in. We don't enter in to the fullness of the promise. Again, we have to put on the armor of God, not just talk about it. That we need to put on Christ, not just talk about it. We need to be baptized, fully submerged, not just, not just talk about it. We actually need to step into the promises that God offers, and the reality of Psalms 91 starts and ends in intimacy and relationship with God because there is a secret place and there is a hiding place that God is inviting us all to step into right now at this moment. 
I will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Abide means to lodge. It actually means to spend the night or to weather the night. And in the imagery of the Bible, night often is in reference to when trouble comes or the enemy tries to come. But in the secret place of God, in his abiding is, is when we are protected through the night season. But again, it's an abiding. It's a dwelling. It's not just a moment. It's not just I open Psalms 91 and I take the three minutes that it takes to read it. And then I'm like, okay, that solves it. No, I actually have to step into the reality of the promise. We need to abide in the promise. We need to lodge there. We need to, we need to, spe- we need to check in and spend the night. <clears throat> Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who rescues you from the net of the trapper and from the deadly plague. Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may take refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a wall. Pinions are tips of wings, of birds' wings, and the, the, the actual flight feathers that make flight possible. And wings are very interesting imagery here. And in Malachi 4.2, it tells us that he has healing in his wings. But in biblical times, that the, the, the uh, rabbis and the priests, they have a, a, prayer, a prayer shawl. Most of you have seen images of this. They have a prayer shawl uh, and that has tassels. And the hem of the prayer shawl and the tassels are referred to as the wings. That's the tallit. And it, the tassels are the wings. And the rabbis, when they go into prayer, they can be in public, but when they go into prayer, they pull that over their heads, and that's called their secret place. And it's actually, remember the tabernacle? It's type and shadow. It's actually imagery of what we're supposed to fully be living in. And that is imagery of anywhere you are, that you can be in public, you can be in the midst of chaos, you can be in a, on a busy street, but you can go into your spiritual secret place and connect with God and be hidden in his presence. And there's healing in his wings. Verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or of the plague that stalks in darkness or the destruction that devastates at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Now listen, this, this language is because we've gone into the secret place. The verse is right before that we need to know how to abide with God, to dwell with God, to step into that place of intimacy, to get hidden in God. And it's in that hiding that, that a thousand are falling on this side and 10,000 are falling on this side, but nothing is coming to touch you because you're hidden. Because you're learning how to spend the night in the secret place where nothing can touch you. Verse 8, you will look on with your eyes and see the retaliation against the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. Now, verse 9 again, for you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. Now, this word made, for you have made the Lord, is literally to put into place or to set. And again, 
the the language there, the image there is that there's a conscious, that there's a conscious approach to recognizing that the Lord is our tabernacle, that he is the spiritual reality of what the image of, of the tent of Moses represented, but he's available right now. And when we come into prayer, we have to put him before us. I set him in place and then I step inside in intimacy, in worship, and I become shrouded with the presence of God and become shrouded with the reality of God where a thousand may fall on one side and 10,000 on the other, but he doesn't touch, but evil doesn't touch me because I'm hidden in God. Psalms 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Again, there's this proactive invitation from God an approach on our behalf to enter into the promise. No, e Verse 10, no evil will happen to you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Now, no plague, no evil touching you, no plague coming near your tent. Your tent is not just your physical home, your dwelling, your apartment, wherever you live. It is that spiritual tabernacle that you've created with God. It's your ability to pull the, the prayer cloth over your head and go into your tent. That, that, which is the presence of God, which is where no evil can dwell, where no sickness can dwell, that is where evil won't touch you and the plague won't touch you. That tent, and if you learn how to, and if you tabernacle with God in your house, then of course your house will become covered with that tent. Your apartment will become covered with that tent, but it's not first the physical location, it's first the spiritual reality that manifests over the physical location. For he will give his angels order concerning you to protect you in all your ways. On their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will walk upon the lion and cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because, now listen, this is, I, I mentioned it earlier, we're at verse 14 now. And this is actually a dialogue, this Psalms, that it's David pouring his heart out to the Lord, praising God, extolling him, and then God responding to David. So the actual, the, the, the voice speaks, uh, switches here. Uh, the, the voice speaking switches, and now it's God responding. And he says, because he has loved me, God's speaking of David, because he has loved me, I will save him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. Because he has known my name is the word yada, the Hebrew word yada, which means knowledge through the senses. It implies intimacy. It's the same word that it says that Adam knew Eve and they bore a son, that there was an intimate exchange, that it's in this the yada of God that these promises come to fruition in knowing God in the five senses. Listen, there's a world out there who needs to see Christians who know how to yada with God, who know how to come into the secret place, who know how to get so filled up with God that they're not shaken by what's going on in the world around them. They're so lost in his presence and his goodness and in his reality that this reality doesn't distract them, doesn't deter them, doesn't get them off kilter. And the world goes, oh, there's hope available. 
that they will reach out for. You can watch with your eyes. Earlier it says, you will watch with your eyes and you will see all these things happen, but it won't touch you. <clears throat> the, I'm catching myself up. <clears throat> because he has loved me. This statement, because he has loved me, it, it means that there is um, an, a, to be attached to in love. God is saying, David, he's not just saying he loves me with his words. That, he's, that David has found the secret. He's found the umbilical cord. That David has pushed through all the confusion. That he's, that he's pushed through the outer court. He's pushed through the inner court. And he's pushed in to the holy of holies. He's pushed into intimacy intimacy with me and he's found me he's connected to me in love he's found this umbilical cord and that releases a life for all these other promises because he is connected to me or attached to me in love all these things come to pass and that this uh to be set on high literally means an inaccessible height Literally, an inaccessible height. So when it says you will look with your eyes and you'll see all these things going, going on, but it won't touch you because in the natural, we can be on the same plane. But in the spiritual, we've stepped into the, we've stepped into the holy place elevator. And we've elevated to a place that actually in the spirit, you can't be touched. And a thousand are falling on one side and 10,000 on the other, but you're not touched it's what David refers to in Psalms 27 about preparing a table for him in the presence of his enemies. God wants to lift you up out of reach. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. This is, again, this is the Lord speaking of David. He will call upon me and I will answer him I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Again, this is because he is attached to the Lord in, in love. And the yada, he's, he's come again and again to experience the love of God. Not just read about it, not just know about it, but to experience. And God says, I will rescue him and honor him. Powerful language. Now, remember that this, this prayer, this exchange between David and God, it started with being rescued from trouble. It, started, it starts with there's a whole lot of shaking going on. There's a whole, it starts with I need to come and hide under your wing because the world around me is going crazy. There's thousands falling on this side and that, and I need to come hiding. But God doesn't stop just with protecting you. He says, I will rescue him and honor him. But that word honor there is the word kabod. It actually means weighty presence of God. He doesn't just mean I'm going to honor him as give him a medal or give him a pat on the back. He says, I'm going to rescue him, but I'm going to honor him, meaning I'm going to put God, saying I'm going to put my weighty nature and presence upon him. 
Do you, do you know why God honors his, his chosen one with his presence? Because there's nothing higher. Gold is not more valuable than the presence of God. There's no position that's more honoring than having the favor of God. There's nothing that God can give as an honor that is higher or more valuable than himself. So he doesn't just rescue David. When you come into the secret place, you don't just get rescued. You don't just get protected. You get honored. You get blessed with the presence and weighty favor of God himself. No wonder why arrows can't get to you. No wonder why pestilence and plagues can't reach you. Because you're covered with him. In the last verse, I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Satisfy. The word satisfy here actually means an excessive amount. Again, it doesn't just stop with enough. God is the God of more than enough. He's the God of abundance. That he doesn't satisfy just to the point of I'm not hungry anymore, that I, I'm just not starving. No, it's, it's you're full and there's still a table, a buffet before you. Enough for you and for your family and for your neighbors and for the strangers. And you can start inviting people into the abundance that God provides for you and for the church. An excessive amount. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. And that word salvation is the word Yeshua. Sound familiar? Again, that we are to put on Christ. It's a lower clay lowercase Yeshua, but it is salvation, literally salvation, which Jesus is our salvation. That we get to step in, when we step into this secret place, we're actually stepping in to Christ. And it means salvation, it also means welfare, deliverance, and victory. God's got a secret place for you. And I want I share this because, yeah, there's some shaking going on in the world, but it's the perfect place for the church to display the unshakable nature and love and steadfast adoration in the Lord that it doesn't matter what's going on on our left or what's going on on our right. We're so lost in the secret place. We've learned how to pull the spiritual talit over us in public, in the midst of trials, in the midst of problems, to pull it over and connect with him in love. We get elevated past all the problems. And he doesn't stop by just rescuing us, but he fills us with more than enough and abundance and excess that others can come and benefit from and be fed from. I just want to invite you. I, I, I feel like I'm sharing, but the Lord put on my heart because I feel like he's inviting you to step into the shadow of his wings in the tabernacling with him. He wants to fill you with his excess to satisfy you and to give you welfare and deliverance and victory in this season. I'm going to invite the team to come back up, and we've had a full service, but we're going to end right where we left off in worship. I, lo I just 
love that song, and I felt like they were prophesying into to this very thing. But I want to I want to invite the tabernacling of God's presence to come over your home right now, your car, wherever you're listening from, wherever you're watching from. I want to invite the tabernacling of His presence to come over you. I want to invite the the spiritual talit. I want to invite I want to invite his wings, the shadow of his wings that have healing and deliverance and salvation in them to come over you. The door is open, but you need to step in. Father, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you come to give life and life more abundantly. Father, I thank you that you are calling us to be the head and not the tail. Father, I thank you that it's in times of uncertainty and times of trial and times of struggle, Father, that the church shines brightest. So, Father, I'm asking that even as we end with this song, that you would turn up that internal light, Father, of shining and confidence and unwavering trust in you. And, Father, I thank you for your kabod filling every house. Thank you for your kabod, Father, the weight of your glory and presence and favor, God. And God, I pray that our neighbors would notice. That's what I'm asking, God, that you would fill every house right now in a way that our neighbors would notice. God, that the people in the long lines at the supermarket would notice. And Father, they wouldn't have to just come to us, but we would be so satisfied, God, to overflowing that we would be filled, God, beyond capacity that we could turn to them in the line and say, hey, I have something that I know you're really hungering for. I have peace, even now. So Father, I thank you for your reality. I just ask you to do this with me, just... Pull your spiritual to lead over you. And let's step into the secret place. But I want you, I want you not just to take a moment. I want you to check in for the night and to abide with God in this place. And let him elevate us up beyond the striving, beyond the struggles, beyond the conflicts, in the fullness of his command. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.